This week, on a very personal episode of Hello Ross, we look back at an in-depth, hilarious, and little heard conversation I had with my amazing friend, Leslie Jordan. A friend called from California and said, honey, you've gone viral. Yeah. And I said, no, I'm fine. I, I, I don't have the corona. I thought he meant you. <laughs> it's Leslie Jordan today on Hello Ross. Hello, everybody, and, and welcome to the program. It, I'm not going to lie to you. This is a this is a tough time right now because uh, we lost a beautiful light, a beautiful human being. Uh, Leslie Jordan, my friend, passed away on Monday. Um, I was sitting right here in my office here in uh, in New York when I when I got the news. It just popped up on my phone, and I couldn't believe it. Leslie Jordan dead at 67. I had to read it over and over and over again. I well, you guys probably too, right? And it's not just because he was was my friend. I feel like everybody felt like they were Leslie's friend. He had that beautiful gift. His superpower was making us happy, whether you knew him or not. And it's it's the reason this superpower, this gift that that Leslie had to make us smile was the reason that during the darkest time, you know, the pandemic, it seemed like we all t- found our way to Leslie. He went from having a few, you know, thousands of followers to like 6 million followers. And it's because, because Leslie was just being Leslie. Leslie was just putting out light into the world. And it was when we needed it most. Leslie was there for us. I, I was so happy to see him have so much success. And I have to tell you, in real life, Leslie was exactly the same. <laughs> exactly the same. Funny, naughty, quick, kind. You know, it, I got to sit down with him about a year and a half ago or so. And it was when I was thinking about this podcast, about when I was thinking about having those kind of deeper conversations, about talking to people who I find fascinating and going a little below the surface, interviewing people in, in a way that you don't get to in these like, you know, four minute quick sound bites which I'd done. I'd interviewed Leslie a bunch of times before, but I'd never had a chance to really sit down down with him. And I, when I was sort of brainstorming this show, I thought, who would I want to talk to? And Leslie was one of those people. So I asked him, I reached out and I just texted. I said, would you do this thing with me? I want to like interview you and kind of go there. And he was like, okay, honey, whatever you want, I'll do it. And um, he sat down with me and, and it was just one-on-one. And um, it was kind of like a pilot for this show in a way. And he showed up and he did it for me. And that is very much who who Leslie was. He just showed up and he was so funny. I was so proud of the conversation we had because I could, you know, really go there with him. And uh, and he went there. And what I was so fascinated about was talking about little Leslie, little gay Leslie growing up in the South, going to church and what and what that was like. And what was it like now, you know, when, when he was, I guess, 66 at the time, being like a gay icon, you know, how did he, how did he make peace with that in his mind? How was his relationship with God in that? And you know what? I got to know Leslie so much more after our conversation and through our conversation. So when I was sitting here in this chair and trying to process 
that Leslie was gone. Um, I thought about that conversation we had about a year and a half ago. And I thought, that's what I want to play this week. I want you guys to hear that. I want you to hear the Leslie that I knew, who was funny, sweet, gracious, and so happy, so happy to be having the kind of success that he, he got to experience. I'd love to play that interview for you now. This is me and my friend, Leslie, not that long ago. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind the scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Hi, my love. I'm so happy you're here. Thank you for having me. Well, you know, you're one of my favorite people in the entire world. I I remember. I don't know if you'll remember this, but the first time I ever met you was probably in like 2008. And I was at the Abbey at like a happy hour or something. And you, you walked by, I think you were there getting lunch or something. And you, you said, so you said to me, like, I got to go, I got a trick. I got to go. And then wrote <laughs> it out. And I was like, I don't know if he's serious or not, but what, no matter whatever he's going, that was hilarious. And then we had that fun time. Do you remember being in the parking lot? Uh, where were we? San and Diego. Was this- San Diego. Yeah. On the morning news, Bill and Juliana Rancic were there as well. <laughs> yes, and the, there was a um, there was a newscaster named Wisdom. Yes! You remember that? You're so right. I forgot about Wisdom. Yeah, and I had to throw the first pitch out. No, no, honey, we were in D.C. Were we in D.C.? Where were we? We were in, we were in Washington. <laughs> and you were there, D.C. and you were there. Oh, I thought and you I were know. there, and you were there, and she was there. Uh, Ju- um, uh, Juliana. Juliana was there. I want to say Miss Rancy. Yeah. She was there, but she, um, we, I had to throw the first pitch out for the Washington Nationals on that mm-hmm. Tuesday. I'd been coerced into that. Like, <laughs> I, am I am I wrong? We were both in D.C. when we had been in D.C. And he no, we must us- have we must have been there, and they booked us on like the morning news or something. Yes, um, we were both there. But but like not and I together. Said I couldn't throw a baseball, and he said, "Well, come out here in the parking lot, and I'm gonna show you." Yeah, and then I went out there and I tried to help you throw a baseball, <laughs> and that is never a good idea. No, uh, but it's so funny the random ways we've uh, we bumped into each other, and I just uh, but I feel like I have adored you for for so long, far before I knew you, and um, uh-huh. and it's like you know what you have, Leslie, and I think you probably are aware of this, but you have that thing that just makes people happy right? Did you have that as a little kid? I can picture you as a little boy, just putting on shows for your mom. Everything. Now I was, you know, a little boy with a secret and my dad was a Lieutenant Colonel in the army. And Mm -hmm. so there was kind of all of that. He also was killed in a plane crash when I was 11, which was kind of horrible time to lose your dad. Yeah. But you know, I was a joyful child. You know, I did have a lot of fun, but I, uh, 
I just always felt like, you know, I wasn't good at sports. You know how we have all that internal baggage. We just drag around and I look back, but no, I had a wonderful childhood. And yes, I am. I've been gifted with the ability to make people laugh and to make Mm. people feel good about themselves. And it really hit home during the pandemic when I started posting things, just, you know, just things. I, I posted twice a day for 80 days and all of a sudden I had 5.7 million followers. Yeah, I saw this happening and it was <laughs> because I followed you before. You were always funny on Instagram, right? And then the world <laughs> shuts down. We're all locked away. And I'm sure you've told this story a million times, but you did go from like having a loyal following, myself included, to like just something happened. People were dying for content and you recognized it and just gave the people what they wanted. Walk me through what that was like. I, I have no idea. I started... I was in Tennessee when the shelter in place orders came Mm -hmm. and I thought, well, I'll just stay here. You know, I knew I couldn't stay under the roof with mama and the twins. I have identical twin sisters. And so it's just really the four of us. Oh, I love you uh, can say sentences like mama and the twins. Mama and the twins. Mama and them. Uh But anyway, we, I, rented a tiny apartment near them so that I could, you know, stay in like we were supposed to, but I would also go over and visit, you know, them every day and get material (laughs) for my posts. (laughs) And so um, that was when it just took off. And I have no idea, like people will say, you know, help me out. How did it work? I don't know. I don't know how that just. Do you think it was like, you know, I talked about the beginning that you just make people happy. And I, and I think, you know, a lot of times, if we just sort of relax, we find our purpose, right? And I feel like in the pressure cooker of Corona and and lockdown and pandemia and all of that, you just went to what you do naturally. I think that's it. And I, um, you know, I started out like you said with a, a loyal group of followers, but then when it when it mushroomed like that, when you get up to to that many followers, you get um, I very without thinking about it I knew I, I wouldn't going to go anywhere near politics and I didn't want to go anywhere near religion and I also didn't want to push products mm. I thought you know that's not why people tune in to see me I you know and even when you do it in a sly kind of way like where someone's paid you to perhaps take a sip of tea and it's lip done or something you know <laughs> But why not do that? I mean, it is the way of the world now. People do. I mean, I have I do some added like, advertising on my social media. I do because, I mean, it's a currency. Social media is like, you know, a lot of, I mean, your channel now, think of you, just your Instagram alone gets the kind of ratings major networks would die for, right? So if they can sell a Super Bowl ad for a million dollars, why couldn't you? Well, what I've noticed, and I have people that are helping me with all this, is the minute we go there, we lose followers. They just are not interested anymore. Uh, well, you know, yep, but you got, you know. but, but, but we're working girls, honey. We got to make a living, right? <laughs> Any way we can. But I'm, you know, I'm lucky right now, and then I've got a series on the air, which you uh, do. I do want to know quickly though what that felt like as you, uh, as the world is turning to your Instagram for relief and healing in this crazy time, which is who would have thought we, are you sitting there refreshing, seeing the numbers grow from, you know, a hundred thousand to 200,000 to a million to over 5 million now. Are you w- refreshing it? And what is going through your mind? 
No, I didn't pay attention to any of that, really. A friend called from California and said, honey, you've gone viral. Yeah. And I said, no, I'm fine. I, I, I don't have the corona. I thought he meant you. <laughs> you've gone viral. I said, no, I'm fine. He said, no, honey, internet viral. And, I, you know, I kind of knew what that meant, but I don't really pay attention to the numbers. Did you manage to to grow up liking yourself, even though? No, not internally, really. That happened, believe it or not, when I got sober 22 years ago, my journey for the last 22 years has been into that. Here I was just the happy, everybody thought I was the happiest guy, but I just, you know, there was a little dark cloud and I, I didn't feel real good about myself. I am 100% <laughs> comfortable with who I am and what I am at 65 years of age, which is pretty amazing. What's but your relationship, I, you know, but no, but now what's your relationship with, with God or, or the church now that partly that, that they were a very due... complicated sort of relationship. Um, I seek, you know what I mean? I keep an open heart and mm-hmm. I seek and I'm open to, there's many, many paths to God. See the way I was raised, we were told one way, one way, you know, and I, I, um, I have my own little path, you know, and mm-hmm. I think it's very personal and you know, I, I loved when uh, when I heard once in recovery, um, religion is for people who are afraid of going to hell. Spirituality is for those who have already been there. So <laughs> I love spiritual that. person. And you know what we went through. We, you went through it, too, some, I'm sure. Maybe not your generation quite like my generation. But growing up, uh, gay was not easy in the deep south. And I, I, I had... I had an easy go because I was funny. You yeah. know, I could keep the bullies at bay. I was Did so Did you funny. find that that humor was your weapon? Uh, yeah, the same. My dad, he taught me how to swear and he taught me how to be funny <laughs> because he knew, I think, if um, bullies came my way, I could just sort of, you know, slice them in half with a good joke. And that was your same experience? Exactly. What, what about I- losing your dad at so young? I wasn't aware that you lost him so young. How yeah, did that he was affected a career, you? He was a career army man and his plane went down. I was 11 and it was a really, really, really tough go because uh, I think more than anything, I felt that maybe I hadn't been the son I could have been, you know, because I wasn't good at sports. And and I even asked my mother one time, I said, do you think you think he was in any way ashamed of me? And you would have thought I had slapped her. She was flabbergasted. She said, "Let's, your daddy adored you. Aww. What are you, where would you ever have even gotten that? And I thought, you know what? That's all that internal yeah. baggage that we tell ourselves. It has yeah. absolutely nothing to do with the reality of the situation because he was a loving man and he was a good man. And it, but it was the 19... 19- 50s and you've got a kid that can't even hit it off the t-ball you know what what do you think your dad you know if he were still here and he could see how I think, fully all, you are hold on let me say this how fully you you are and how fully celebrated you are on a in the masses you know what would that blow his mind and i think it's interesting my dad used to pull out a baritone ukulele and play old hymns and we would sing oh i knew every word we would sing and then he'd make up these funny little songs with my daddy was a shave. And as the story goes, the racer slipped and it cut off his nose. We just make up these songs and sing. I don't know where they came from. And that's what I'm doing now. It's all full circle. I'm recording the favorite hymns of my dad yeah. and my mom. And I have no ax to grind with uh. that. I've, I've dealt with all that. 
you know, so it's singing just because I love the songs and because they 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 bring comfort to so many people. I do this uh, Sunday morning hymn singing with my friend Travis Howard, and we sing these old songs, you know, um, and and uh, people will 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 write us on on Instagram and tell us, oh, I'm an atheist. You know, they'll say that. Yeah, I'm an atheist. I tune in every Sunday to hear those songs. <laughs> uh, wow. I find this so fascinating, you know, that you you must have done a lot of work to get to this place, you know, where where you are so f- content with who you are and and how you your relationship with God and all of that. And a lot of work. And I, I'm actually thinking about as I'm reflecting, because I think there are a lot of parallels between you and me, although we had very different upbringings. I was in Washington State, but the farm, farm town with a hunter dad and my, we were not religious people. But my dad used to teach me these songs. He would have me sing for good luck where we'd be fishing or hunting. And one of them, like you were just singing that hymn. And, and, and I was thinking my, my dad would teach me. And one was, oh, the hair on her pussy was a fuzzy brown color. And the fleas and the chicks were a fucking one another. <laughs> have me sing them and do these awful chants and we would always get fish and but but the point is like it made my dad happy you know and like it was the way I could bond with him and so Aww. I was so grateful to have that and um did you when your dad passed did you feel like you were the man of the house then I didn't but people told me that and that's a terrible thing to tell what you know people said you're the little man of the house now and a lot of pressure felt the weight of the world on me um and then so many of my dads, uh, like my uncles and stuff, stepped in to try, and that kind of was hopeless. And then one uncle figured it out with horses. That was what we bonded with, because I'd already, I'd always had a pony. Mm-hmm. My dad bought me my first pony when I was four. I couldn't even no, get my little pony. My parents, are you kidding me? You had a pony? That's a the pony. dream. But see, what, what'd you name think, your first oh, pony? What'd you name it? Midnight. <laughs> Midnight. And I had him till I was fourteen. But people, then I had a, a fancy one, Lemon Drop. And oh, then I had God. A show pony named Lemon Drop. I've told that before. And my friend said, Well, of course you had a show pony named Lemon, <laughs> Lemon Drop. <laughs> oh, my God. You're living my fantasy life. But see, in the South, there was plenty of land and there were barns everywhere. And you didn't have to be rich. People think, Oh, well, you must have been rich. No, you could have horses and they just grazed in the pasture and you gave them a little grain every once in a while. Yeah. We, um, but I bonded with an uncle over horses and that was kind of wonderful. Um, I wonder and- who you're, what about what it was like growing up and dating? Like who was your first crush? My first crush was I was in Daytona beach. I was about 12 years old with my family. And I remember I met this kid. He was a little older than me, but he took a liking to me. And um, I, I don't remember his name, but I do remember I asked my mother, I said, I want to keep, you know, after we, the vacation's over, maybe I could write him a letter. And she said, well, I asked for his address, and I, <laughs> he wrote me his address down. And all the way home, I remember I was very dramatic. We were at a station wagon driving away from Daytona, and I'm just with tears going down my face, <laughs> staring out the window for my love, my yeah. new love. And I wrote him a letter and he never wrote back. So I remember where he lived. It was at Harding Place in Nashville. That, I remember the address is 60 million years ago. That, but that was my first, but I didn't know that. And I would get those, you know, I, I, my trouble was that I always went for people that weren't available. Like maybe they're straight. <laughs> Hello. Did you, you do know? that your whole life? You think? My whole life. Well, I was. What about now? Dating now? What's going on? 
I'm just, you know, single and happy and I don't yeah. do much. At 65, you know, you I look around my beautiful little place and I think there's just no room here. <laughs> there's no room. Well, if you found it, would you, I'm, I don't, I'm not one of those people who say like, you have to have a partner to, I hate when people ask people that. And if they're content, they're content, but um, say you were at Starbucks and you, someone bumped into you and you felt that magical. Yeah. But I've been around so long that I know that it's relationships are so much work. And I don't, I've had some beautiful boyfriends over the years and then, you know, two or three years in, I, I don't know. I'm very, I think I'm going to probably, go it alone. I'm 65 and I'm so happy, I love you that. know, what, what, what could they bring to the table? Well, you I do mean, have it all right. You're in this position. I love that you're in this position where you're established, you're holy in yourself. Right. And now you have this brand new humongous platform where you kind of have that ticket to do whatever you want. And I love that you're doing a gospel album, which details will be coming out soon. Sounds like you have huge people. You're on a sitcom on Fox with Mayim Bialik, who was Blossom. Hello, one of my faves. Hello, and she's exactly like you think she was. She's so smart. You know, she has a doctorate. She does. She's Dr. Bialik. Yeah, right, in like mathematics or something mathematics. like that. Something scientific. Who, what? Something. She's so smart. And you know what's funny? We, we have a running joke. She can do anything. Like one episode where she needed to kickbox, and all of a sudden she's kick. I mean, really kickboxing. She said, I took, you know, I took classes once. She's done everything. I mean, there's nothing she can't do. Nothing. Amazing. And so tell me about the show. We're having so much fun. I know everybody says that. Oh, we have fun. But I mean, we really have fun. Yeah. yeah. Like we've got Shine Jackson, who's just so beautiful and so talented and so much fun. And we have Julian Gant, who just is in, he was on in the groundlings and everything. He's just intrinsically and little Kyla Pratt just tickles me to death. I mean, I just can't get my eyes off of her. She's so pretty. And she's and such is, a of course, call me cat. And what is the show about? And who is your character? It's on, on Fox. It's on Fox. And um, Maya Bialik, uh, her mother is Swoosie Kurtz, who oh. I forgot to mention immediately. Oh my God. I love she's Susie like Kurtz. a legend. Legend. So Swoosie. And her dressing room is right next to mine. And we just, we glommed onto one another. And that's all we do is they can't find us sometimes to go <laughs> shoot. I said, well, where are they? Well, I think he's in Swissie's dressing room. I don't know. Well, you've got to find him. We're just having such a good time. But anyway, um, uh, Swissie wants her daughter to get married. You know, she's 40 years old. My gosh, it's a little bit of an embarrassment. Yeah. Because <laughs> Swissy plays fancy. You know, she's a little wealthy. She's got a few dollars. And, I understand. And then she's got her daughter, you know, um, Catherine Edith. <laughs> Catherine Edith Silver. Uh-huh. And Catherine Edith is not married and she's just appalled by her. And they have that cute thing going. And then uh, so she takes her dowry and buys a cat cafe where you can go in there and rescue cats and have tea. And so I help run the cat cafe. Now, when and you get this kind of script, are you like, I can nail this part right away. I know exactly how to, how to do it. And do they have you audition? Or are you at the point now where they offer it to you? No, they do not offer it. They made me come in and audition. And I got the part that Julian Gant has now. That was, was what I was hired to play. Oh, okay. And then there was a character named Phyllis. She was kind of a large woman and she, her, her, she was kind of pitiful. Her boyfriend had left her and she, you know, she just, and I remember thinking I could tear that part up if, if not as Phyllis, but I just knew I, 
she had the best lines. Mm-hmm. So Darlene Hunt that created the care, the show called, and I, she was hemming around and I knew what she was up to. She said, we can't find our Phyllis. And we're, th- I said, I'll come in, I'll audition. You can make mm-hmm. him feel. She goes, okay. <laughs> I was just going to ask you to put a couple of lines on your, on your cell phone and send them to us. I said, no, I'll come in. So I went into to a waiting room with several uh, uh, funny, funny, large women. And I went in and I wanted to tell me I could go home now because I'm going to get this part. I just knew. <laughs> you just knew it. She called the next day and said, we're going to give you this bigger part. Amazing. And so um, I, I knew immediately. I thought I can do this. And now the scripts are getting better and better mm-hmm. and better. Now, are you uh, good at auditioning? I'm terrible. I, I, I just booked a first thing with an audition. I've been on television 20 years. It's never been how I've gotten gigs. I get insecure about things. What about you? I am. Um, I've gotten better at it. It's nerves. It's all boils down to nerves. And it all boils down to people would tell me, I'll just go in there and do it and then forget about it. Well, you can't forget about it. I want to tell them, get in the car. Hey, all of you get in the car with me because when I drive home, I'm brilliant. Like when I leave this audition, I'm Mm -hmm. so brilliant. Mm -hmm. Get in the car and I'll blow you away. Um, And that for years I noticed was when I did get offers or when people did bring me in, I got it. But when I auditioned, nine times out of 10, I didn't get it. Well, is there ever a part that you didn't get that you, they, they made a mistake. They should have had you, you would have killed it. It's funny you said that because I answered that question the other day and I got in trouble, but I was oh. kidding. I, Willie Garson mm-hmm. on uh, Sex in the City. Yes. Um, I was up for that part mm-hmm. and they just went a whole different way. I mean, they didn't go a whole different way. They, he's straight though. Yeah. And so the other day I said, and then this strike guy gets the part and I, I, I refuse to watch Sex in the City. Well, I got a direct message from Willie. Ah! I'm so sorry. And then I wrote back and said, no, I was kidding. Oh, I was so kidding. It started because somebody recommended if uh, the blonde doesn't do the, the movie, the new movie. Yeah, Samantha, Kim Cattrall, she's so, not doing it. You should do it. Kim Cattrall, he said I should. You should. Do you know Michael Patrick King? Of course you do, right? No, I mean I know of him. I don't. You know you would be great. <laughs> I'll tell him. I'll send him a message. You would be great at it. Can you imagine? Would you do a sex scene? Have you done a sex scene? I don't think I have done a sex scene. Is there a role that you haven't played? Like I would love to see you, Leslie. Like, wouldn't it be interesting to do like an independent film, dramatic? You're the lead. Would you ever yeah. do that? That would be I've a gotten, risky thing. I've, we've gotten so close with that, and it just never happened. I want there you was to do one that movie. Yeah, I would love to do that. I'm a good actor. You know, mm-hmm. I'm an actor. Uh, you're an Emmy winning actor. You're not a good actor. You're a great mm-hmm. actor. And in fact, I wanted to go through. Could if I just listed some some of your your uh, credits i want to get just a one or two words on on some of the projects because i went through some of my my favorites um and when you go through leslie like you have been in the zeitgeist uh for american television and movie viewers for how many years now 82 40 talk to me about what you remember of being on murphy brown one of my favorites candace um telling me i kept calling her miss bergen and she said call me candace or candy call me candy and i said Oh, no. No, I can't call you Candy. You're Candy. You're Miss Bergen. Now, people that may not remember, Candace Bergen won like five or six Emmys in a row for Murphy Brown. I mean, she was like the queen of television. You were on and uh, was it just one episode? 
seventh episode pilot season. <gasps> and I started what they kept for years. I was a sec. I was her secretary. Yeah. And she'd and always I'm, fire him. Yeah. And I had been in prison for 15 years for a crime I didn't commit. And so she gets me out, uh, you know, does an expose, gets me out of prison. And then I don't have anywhere to go. And I'm still wearing macrame belts and platform shoes. I'm still wearing the clothes I wore to prison. <laughs> All right. What about uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse? That's interesting. You were on that. I played Busby, who's Pee Wee's neighbor. And Pee Wee, I only did one, maybe two. But Pee Wee would say I was a thief. And I lived next door to him and I'd steal his things. And so he would say, where's my cereal bowl? Buzz me. And, and so, and then I ended up stealing his clothes and dressing up like him. And Miss Yvonne, the most beautiful woman in the world, mm-hmm. uh, Lynn Marie Stewart says to me, Busby, why do you steal Pee Wee's things? And I said, cause I don't have any friends. And I thought that if I, um, acted like peewee oh but you've got to just be yourself busby and then you can have friends how do you remember all of this i don't know i just remember because it was so much it was was a long time ago was paul rubens who was peewee herbin was he very different from his character off stage or off camera yeah he's kind of he's kind of quiet really Mm -hmm. i like paul i like him a lot he's very different he's very smart and um um it was fun. I do remember it because he wears so much pan stick and makeup and stuff. They had to keep it really cold. That's all I remember. It was so cold. Or the shoot. Speaking of makeup, you've done Star Trek Voyager as well. What do you remember from shooting that? Oh, eight hours. I'd get up. At, in makeup. I had to be there. Yeah, in makeup. Mm-hmm. Flat on my back, straws up my nose. I had to. I had to be there by three a.m. Five hours. I laid there. Oh my god. 40 separate prosthetic pieces, gold spec contact lenses, fake teeth that rubbed. Oh, it was just, um, it was just atrocious. And then I have, I hold the record. It's the Westmores. It's a family of makeup. They go all the way back to the original Star Trek. And I had, I think her name was Candace, one of the heirs to it all. But anyway, the Westmores, I, I hold for the longest because they put me in makeup and then we started shooting and it was a very difficult day. And I was 22 hours wow. in that makeup. Wow. <laughs> so then when you do a show like Reba, that's a lot easier, right? Yeah. Reba McIntyre. And then what about The Help? That must have been so exciting. I love that movie, The Help. When that comes out and it's like the number one movie for weeks and weeks and weeks and then all these Oscar nominations, Oscar wins. What is that experience like? Well, the, just the shooting of it, because I knew Tate Taylor forever. The director. We had done a play together called Southern Baptist Sissies when he was an actor that Dale Shores wrote. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, um, he had been doing all these tiny little indie films, and he would call me and say, be in this movie. I'd say, I'm not available, Tate. I can't, you know, drop big pay and stuff. To... So then my mm-hmm. agent called and said, you want to do this one? He's mm-hmm. directing The Help. I said, and it turns out that he knew Catherine Stockett, who wrote the book, they went to kindergarten together oh, really? and she had said to him, she couldn't sell the book 61. She couldn't even get a literary agent to look at it. 61 different literary agents turned it down and then one picked it up. I hope I'm getting the whole story right. But anyway, she had told Tate, Tate said, well, let's just make a little indie film of it. Mm-hmm. And she said, okay, well then it did get picked up and everybody came knocking from the Spielberg to Oprah to everybody. And in, she would say, no, my friend Tate's going to direct it. 
Wow. I mean, and so we all took off for um, Jackson, Mississippi, and he got big houses for each of the big stuff, like Allison, Janie, you could rent in Jackson, Mississippi, an old plantation house for nothing. And then he had the people come in the, the, that decorate for the movies and decorate each house. So Emma had her house, Jessica Chastain had her house. You know, they all had houses. Um, Octavia had her house, uh, Viola had her house. And we just would go have parties at night, you know, and go from really? house to house. And we had so much fun. Uh, you know, you know a thing or two about being on uh, with Humongous prog- Projects. Uh, Will and Grace, let's talk about that quickly. You got to be on that show, which is one of the best shows in the history of television. And then uh, again, on the reboot, you won your Emmy for being uh, on that show. Um, when you're on something that's like that hot in, uh, in, in terms of like the number one show on television, all the awards, um, did you think you would be in Emmy contention for that? No, gosh, no. In fact, when my manager called, he said, you're up for Emmy. I said, for what? I thought maybe it was for one of my cartoon voices. Yeah. You know, I didn't know. I said, for what? He said, Will and Grace. I said, because I said, but what's the category? He said, it's um, best guest actor in a comedy. I said, I'm not a guest actor. I've been on that show. I did. <laughs> but but that category is for people who are on less than six episodes uh, it's, it's a season, right? And so it, it's a chance for if you have a story arc to get to, you know, to just be recognized for your major contribution. So you're nominated, OMG. And then you 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 win the Emmy. And for did that mother, little... I took my mother to the ceremony with me and she leaned in. They were about to announce it. And she leaned in and she said, you're going to win. I said, well, you're my mother. Of course you think that. She goes, no, look to the left. And the cameras were slowly coming towards, you know, like rolling. Now, maybe they cover everybody because that's what I thought. Maybe. But I don't think they'd have a camera for everybody. And the cameraman was just kind of slowly moving down, ready to go like that. And so and and then when they announce your name and the crowd starts clapping, do you turn and look at your mom in the eye? What do you do? Yes. And I, I, I didn't want to cry. But then I got on stage and on the front row were Warren Beatty and Annette Benning. I just remember that mm-hmm. going and they were going thumbs up, like clapping. And I'm like, you. oh, my God. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can't help, I would imagine, but go back to that that little kid growing up in the deep South in moments like that, in moments like what happened to you during this quarantine and reflect, you know, and, and thinking about how far we've come and how, because of people like you, kids think that this is normal now that you can kind of be this openly gay and have this kind of success. And I wonder what you could, if you would not to be cliche, but if you could talk to, you know, eight year old, seven year old, Leslie, what would you want (laughs) to know? I tell him everything is going to work out, honey. Yeah. It's going to work out. And it's like they tell us in recovery. It's going to be beyond your wildest imaginings because you think, you know, like it's going to be like this. Here's what I thought when I first got to Hollywood. I wanted a house in the Hollywood Hills. I wanted to be kind of like a gay Hugh Hefner. Mm-hmm. I wanted to have seven blonde boys that lived with me and giggled. And I was going to have brunches, <laughs> which was kind of a new word. I'd never heard the word brunch. Yeah. Oh, that's very, I'm going to have a brunch. <laughs> that's, that started like in the eighties. People would say, let's have a little brunch. And I thought, Oh, 
we're going to have brunches and everybody's going to come and we're going to sit around the pool and drink cocktails. It's, my <laughs> life is so not bad. It's like, <laughs> I thought I would kill myself. Boom. If I ended up with Hollywood with seven blonde boys, I'd kill myself. <laughs> but isn't it funny that the happiness you need finds you, you know, and, and your and purpose just finds you and People say, oh, I don't know if I want to get old. Yes, you do. It's just wonderful. It's just yeah. wonderful getting older. Well, listen, I, I I, think that, you know, when I think about you, it's somebody who, somebody I love uh, and respect and root for, and I have since I first, before I ever met you. And to see you um, fall into this success, and I don't, I hate saying fall into it, to earn this kind of success just by being you, right? By being authentically mm. you, by being present, by give, be, giving of yourself, not manufactured, but just authentically is the purest kind of success you can have. Mm, Somebody once you. told me when I first started, they said, Ross, if you can get a job, uh, if you can get a job being yourself, you'll be employed for the rest of your life. And I think that you not only have been employed for your entire life being yourself, I just think you got the biggest promotion in the history of show business during this time. And I'm so proud this, of you. You know, this TV series, uh, Phil is probably closest to me. I thought, why is this so easy? Mm. You know, I'll memorize my lines. I just walk in because I am. I'm just being me. So thank it's you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for listening to that. And um, I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope it helped you get to know a man um, who you, I'm sure you adored, like like we all did, um, a little bit more. The humanity of him, who he is, who he was. Ugh, that's so weird to say was when you, he was just here. It's so weird. Oh, yeah. Call your friends. I have to tell you, I've called so many of them in this, uh, this, this week, since I got the news that Leslie passed away, so many friends who were, you know, around his age, uh, younger and thing is, you just never know. It's can go like that. So reach out to somebody that you haven't talked to in a while. Tell them you love them. Uh, make sure everybody around you knows how much you love them. Leslie, I love you. I always love you, Leslie, you know, and thank you for making the world a brighter place. And thank you listeners for letting me sort of go through this with you. Thank you. Uh, Bowen Yang was supposed to be on this week. Uh, we're going to have him on next week from SNL. He's, you know what? It's occurring to me now. <laughs> people like Bowen are in SNL and people like me are on TV right now because of people like Leslie. You know what I mean? Isn't that something too? This one's for Leslie. Until next week. Bye-bye. <laughs> Hey, it's me, Ross Matthews. Thanks so much for listening. It means a ton. Make sure you like us, give us a good review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And you can find us on video at Cumulus Podcast Network on YouTube. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.